Turn with me to 3 John, if you will. 3 John has been our text throughout this series. We've been in a series called All in the Family for most of the summer. And uh, today's the last message in that series. And uh, so if you would stand with me as we read our text verse, 3 John verse 4. It says, very simply, I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in truth. You may be seated. <laughs> that should, in, in my opinion, in my opinion, that should be the number one prayer of every parent that follows Jesus Christ. Not that your child should get into the best school. Not that your child should uh, choose a great career path. Not even that your child should find the ideal person for them in life to share their lives with. But that your child, when all is said and done, is walking according to the word of God, is serving God with their lives and doing their best to be the follower of Christ that they've been called to be. Now, largely in their formative years, which is what we've been talking about for the last several weeks, that responsibility lays at your feet as parents. And I know that it hasn't, that when we talk about family, some people say, well, this doesn't really include me because I'm not a parent. Um, we, I'm married, but we don't have children. We did cover marriage at the beginning of this. So how can I apply this? I hope that as you've gone through this, as we've gone through all these messages, you've seen some things that do apply to you. And also look beyond the obvious and realize that every one of us has children in our lives. Every one of us has someone who is looking up to us. And even if they, they're grown, even if they're young people who are now uh, trying to figure out what life has for them and what they're going to get out of life, that many of these principles that we've talked about are still applicable to you as a mentor, as a parent, as a guide for those who are looking for help. Most people are, you know, most people are looking for somebody that they can trust, somebody that they can uh, latch on to, and someone who can help them figure out where they're going and what they're doing. You've heard the common phrase, fake it until you make it. Well, that's a lot of, that's a lot of truth for a lot of people. They're faking it. What they really need is someone who can teach them how not to fake it, but how to be true and honest inside so they can be the best they can be. And now we're at the end of this series, All in the Family, and we focused on those relationships within the family and the family structure and beyond the family structure into the church and how they should be viewed and how they should be conducted according to the Bible. And that's been our theme throughout. That's been our, our standard throughout. And I know that uh, we've gone against the grain for a lot of people, uh, but I hope that you have seen that what I said at the very beginning of this, that this is going to be a series on family and parenting based on biblical principles turned out to be true. That this wasn't my opinion. This wasn't out of a psychology book. These are principles from the Word of God that we as Christians who claim to be followers of Christ and claim to have the Bible as our source of life truly need to apply, learn, and apply to not just our lives, but our parenting as well. I hope that you found this series 
not just informative, but beneficial as well, because information is great, right? It's great to have information. It's great to have knowledge. But knowledge without wisdom, knowledge without practicality, knowledge without application is simply a way to win jeopardy. We need more than that. Perhaps not everything seemed to apply to your specific situation, but I trust and hope that you got, uh, you gained some, some wisdom out of this that will help you. My fervent prayer is that it just doesn't help our families, but it also pays dividends beyond our families and extends into our church. Because as I've said throughout this series, a strong church is built on strong families and strong families are built by strong parents and strong parents are supported many times by, strong, by a strong marriage. Not, not every great parent is married, I understand that. As many of you are single parents and, you're, and you, uh, you do your, your very best and I think some, uh, some single parents are just doing a phenomenal job. But I trust and hope that all these things that you've learned you can not only apply at home, but you'll bring back. It seems like a common theme this morning from our worship team was, hey, we want you back. <laughs> we want you back in church. I'm not going to belabor that point. I think you know how I feel about that. I think it's time to come back. I think it, it's been time to come back. And I think that 15 months of being told you can't, you can't, you can't has had an effect on a lot of people and has uh, given us a, all right, crossing a line here, all right? I don't need to ask permission, okay? And you don't need to ask permission to go to church. You need to go to church anyway. That's all I'll say. As I've said many times throughout this series, strong families are built on strong positive qualities, strong positive materials, knowledge, investment, and willing builders. Those are how strong families are built, and those are how strong churches are built as well. That's how we're going to reach our community. That's how we're going to reach the people that we love, our families, our friends. They've got to see something in us that matters. No church can long survive without the sport of strong, godly homes. There's a couple quotes that I've been sharing with you quite a bit throughout most of this series. One, the first one is by Andy Stanley. Your greatest contributions to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Truly is, and I hope that that stays with you. That's why we put it up there every week. It's not necessarily something you do. We always try to measure ourselves by what we contribute. And too many times, folks, let me, let me throw this out there as well. Too many times we downplay the contribution we make to the church. Just because you're not seen, just because what you see, what, what people see is not you, that doesn't mean that your contribution to the church isn't vital and valuable. Many times what you do behind the scenes, the encouragement you give, the wisdom you share, the knowledge you bring to a situation, if you're there when people need someone to count on, then you're an incredibly valuable piece of this church. We need to continue that throughout our, our time. And many times as parents, you may not be the next great worship leader or the next great instrumentalist or the next great Sunday school teacher, but your child may be. 
And it's your responsibility to raise them, train them, and grow them in the Lord so that they have that opportunity. Dr. Tony Evans said this, it is far easier to shape a child than to repair an adult. Far easier to shape a child than to repair an adult. And it is so true. And a huge first step in becoming a successful godly parent is admitting that God is God and you are not. I think that's a first huge step in being a successful parent. Actually, in be, and that, that's my quote, by the way, me. Just me. Um, by the way, that's in anything in life. Admitting that God is God and you are not is huge when it comes to following him. And that's, that's not what our series is on, so we're going to move on. As we approach the end of this series, All in the Family, we're going to finish by exploring some random relevant thoughts that we talked about last week. Kind of uh, disconnected, they didn't really fit into any of the series, any of the sermons, and they didn't really make a sermon themselves. So just kind of some random thoughts that I, was, I sure started sharing last week, and we're going to finish up sharing this week that are applicable and are important and relevant when it comes to parenting children today, godly parenting children in American society today in light of biblical principles. Just like building a church and winning your family, friends, and neighbors to Jesus, building a family and raising a godly, successful child takes enormous commitment and sacrifice. This last section deals with responsibilities that you have as a parent in light of our society. There are some heavy weights of responsibility that West, like Elmer Fudd there, West. There are some heavy weights of responsibility that rest on your shoulders as parents. The first one I see is this. It is your responsibility to break the cycle of dysfunction for your children. It's your responsibility as a parent to break the cycle of dysfunction for your children. Many of you, this is going to involve breaking the cycle of the dysfunction in which you were raised. See, for a lot of people, and I've had conversations throughout this series, for a lot of people, what we've talked about throughout this series, it may have been right down your alley. It may have been, you may have had that mother or that father. You may have had that grandmother, that... Um, all right, we're, we're here. Any of you have to go out and pick out your own switch? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good time. That's a good time. It, you never knew whether to pick, the, right? Never knew whether to pick the thick one or the skinny one. Because the, the long, skinny one, it would, I mean, it would hurt, but it would wrap around, too. And that, yeah, that's no fun. But, and, and that, by the way, that's not dysfunction, okay? <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. But many of you were raised in, in many people, I won't make it personal, many people were raised in dysfunctional households, in dysfunctional families. And over and over and over again, people say, I, I don't want my children to have to go through what I went through. Well, that's your responsibility, folks. It's your responsibility to break that cycle of dysfunction for your kids. You are the parents that's what this has been about. 
taking the ownership and responsibility of your job as a parent and raising your children. You have a choice how you're gonna raise your kids. You have a choice what you're going to use as a standard. You have a choice as what you're going to use as a framework for teaching your kids. My argument throughout this entire series has been use the Bible. Let the Bible be your standard. Let the Bible be your platform. Let the Bible be your framework because it is the best option that you have. Whatever form the dysfunction that you know came in and whatever form it has taken, it is your responsibility as a parent to break that cycle for your kids. Dr. Thema Davis said this, refuse to inherit dysfunction. Instead, learn new ways of living instead of repeating what you have lived through. Some of you, listen, breaking that cycle of dysfunction means relearning a lot of things. It means relearning a lot of different things. Some of you, it's about forgetting the way you were raised, putting aside the things you were raised in, forgetting those things and learning. That's why we, that's, that's why we encourage mentorships. Quite honestly, that's why, that was my big push. That was my big driving force for a men's ministry. You talk to the gentleman that I met with to form this men's ministry and to get this men's ministry started, and they'll tell you it was all about opening. It wasn't necessarily about Bible studies, right? That wasn't what we were starting. It was about opening the conversation for men. Because I'm not sure if you ladies know this or not, but not all men are big conversationalists. Not all men like to open up their, open up their heart and talk about their feelings. They just don't do that, right? Tell you what, I'll give you my feelings. Let the Rams score a touchdown on Sunday to win the game. I'll show you my feelings, right? Because we're tough guys. They're not always going to open up. But when they're around a group of men and, dare I say, feel safe, feel comfortable. We don't call it feeling safe as men. We feel comfortable. We feel comfortable. In my generation, we were rapping with each other, right? Right? We feel comfortable to talk. And when we feel comfortable to talk, we start opening up. And when we start opening up, we, have, we need men there who are experienced in the word, men there who are experienced in a life with Jesus Christ, who can help guide and direct those men who didn't have the example of a father growing up. There, there are some men that are amazing examples now who were raised by their mother, raised by a strong, godly woman who have a lot to share and a lot to say and can tell others, hey, listen, you may not have been given the best deck of cards to start out with, but you sure can pull yourself up and, and, and get on the right path now. There's no excuse. 1 Timothy 1.5 says, Now the goal of our instruction is, is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Understand this, dysfunctional is not normal family stuff. Some families are just quirky, right? Some of our families are just quirky. And that's not dysfunction, that's just who you are. You're just kind of quirky. You know, some people, uh, right down to dinner time, or you, whether you call it dinner or supper, you know, 
Just, that's not dysfunction. That's just normal family stuff. Dysfunction is a condition of family relationships where roles are not filled, where serious abuse in all forms takes place, where families live in a condition where up is down and down is up, and right is wrong and wrong is right, and morality doesn't have a home, and where children are treated as objects or treated as punching bags, where husbands and wives don't get along and don't stay away from each other, but do those kind of things in, in front of the children. We could go on with a list of what dysfunction is, but understand this, just because your family is a little quirky and a little bit different than others, doesn't mean it's dysfunctional. It just means you're different. You have flavor, right? A little extra spice in the sauce. But it is possible to break dysfunctional family cycles and live godly lives. It is possible. Here's the great danger of dysfunctional families, that we learn to function within our dysfunction and become comfortable there. And that becomes our norm. And we don't see our struggles. We don't see the problems that that brings up. And we don't see how we're hamstringing and handcuffing our children by sending them off into the next generation with dysfunctional values and dysfunctional principles on which to live. It is possible to break that, that chain of dysfunction and the cycle of dysfunction and live a godly life. And let me give you a great biblical example. And this may not strike you as a great example until I share with you what his life was like and how similar it is to many lives today. Because he was an amazing hero of the faith. And that was Joseph. Joseph the son of Jacob, one of the sons of Jacob. Joseph was, was raised in an incredibly dysfunctional home by an incredibly dysfunctional father, who, by the way, was one of the patriarchs of the nation of Israel. We find J Jacob's life in Genesis 37 through 50. Now, we're not going to take the time to read all that, but let me give you some highlights of how, uh, of the home in which Jacob was raised, Joseph was raised. First of all, his father was Jacob. Jacob was known in the Bible. If you read and study and you look up some of the words, Jacob was known as a conniver and a deceiver. <laughs> he was called that by God. All right? A conniver. This guy cheated his own brother out of his birthright. And he came by it honestly because his mother was in on the scheme to defraud his father so that his brother would lose his birthright. And his brother was so unconcerned about what was going on in the family that he sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. Joseph had three stepmothers, 10 stepbrothers, one full brother, and a stepsister all living in the same home at the same time. Interesting. Now, his father Jacob was also a very passive parent. He had a lack of involvement and lack of leadership. And because of that, it brought incredible pain and confusion to his family. Just read those passages. Read that story of Joseph and his brothers. And you'll see 
10 brothers who are just out of control. 10 brothers who have seemed to have no moral compass and no example of a father to teach them how to live. Joseph's brothers took turns being brutal, being conniving, and openly immoral. In fact, his oldest brother lost his birthright. Check this out. His oldest brother lost his, lost his entire generation, the, the generations to follow, lost his birthright as, uh, for his family as the, in the nation of Israel in the promised land. They didn't have their own portion in the promised land because he slept with his father's mother. There's a good one. Joseph, Joseph's father set up his son Joseph for failure and abuse from his brothers by openly favoring him above the others. You remember the story of the coat of many colors, right? There's a Broadway show called Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. And it's all about Joseph and his fancy money, multicolored uh, robe that was given to him by his father. None of the other brothers got that robe. His father showed open favoritism to him. Why? Because he was the only son for a long time from his wife who was openly his favorite. He had three. His brothers hated him so much that they sold him into slavery. Now, originally, they just threw him in a deep pit that he couldn't climb out of. And they were just going to leave him there to die. But they saw a caravan. You remember the story, right? They saw a caravan coming. And they said, well, let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. Let's make a profit off this deal. And then they killed an animal and they put blood on that coat of many colors and showed it to his father. So that his dad would think he was dead. It didn't stop there. When Joseph went to Egypt, he spent time in prison on trumped up charges and false accusations of rape. Yet and still, he became a man of great leadership in a foreign land, which was full of idolatry, surrounded by examples of indulgence, greed, power, and brutality. That was the life, those were the examples, that was the condition, that was the amazing, unbelievable dysfunction in which he was raised. I probably should change that descriptive unbelievable because that actually sounds like a lot of homes today, doesn't it? Maybe that hits home with you. That there's amazing dysfunction that you were raised in, so much so that it's hard to see the path forward. But the great story, the great, the great understanding of Joseph and the great end to Joseph's story is that through all of this, through all the dysfunction, through all the conniving, through all the backstabbing, through all the brutality, Joseph held tight to his faith. And God used him ultimately to save not only his family, not only his extended family, which included those brothers. I mean, read the story, man. Read the story of how it, 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 Joseph, was, Joseph and his brothers and their families were saved through an amazing famine by, by Joseph because of how God used Joseph in the situation. Not only his family was saved, but all the generations of Israel. 
Now, they ended up, remember, Israel ended up going into bondage, but they were delivered from that bondage in Egypt to go into the promised land. Joseph could have chosen not to be that man. Joseph could have chosen to say, listen, I've had the card stacked against me all my life. I'm just going to go with the flow. I'm here in Egypt. Nobody knows me. Nobody knows my God. Nobody knows anything about me. I'm successful. I'm number two in the world. I'm number two in the most powerful world, uh, powerful nation in the world right now. And I'm just going to go with that. But Joseph realized the reason he rose to number two was the power of God and the faithfulness that he showed to God. Therefore, God blessed him by giving him and his descendants a double portion of the promised land. Remember that brother that lost his inheritance because of his great sin? Well, that inheritance was transferred to Joseph and his two sons. And Joseph's two sons both received an inheritance in the promised land. What did Joseph say about all of this? In Genesis 50, verses 19 through 21, Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. That's an amazing story of grace and love and redemption. It's also a great uh, application to the way Jesus loves us. That despite all the abuse, all the dysfunction, all the rebellion against what he wants for us and who he is to us, he still loves us enough to say, listen, I accept you and I've got big plans for you and I'm going to treat you kindly and I'm going to love you no matter what. Listen, let me just go off script for a second. Some of you who are watching us, some of you who will be watching us are saying, you know what? I've been out of church now for 15 months and, be, uh, and to be quite honest, I wasn't much great shakes before COVID hit and I was struggling. And now it's just easier not to come back than it is to come back. And it's easier just to go along with my life the way it is. Can I just tell you something? And some of you may have walked away in, at some point in your life and said, you know what, it's just easier to keep going on this way because it is a struggle. And I'm here to tell you, man, walking with Jesus is a struggle. Anybody, can anybody tell me they've never had a bad day? And I'm not talking a bad day, I'm talking a bad week, a day that extends into a week, a month, even a bad year. Attack one right after the other. Sometimes they come at the same time. And just when God blesses you, there's Satan right next to him throwing everything at you to try to steal your joy. It's a tough life. But the fact of the matter is, if we don't follow Jesus, we don't have his hand of blessing and favor on our lives. And beyond that, because as we say many times, it's not about you. Who knows? I, I was talking with a, a dear friend of mine, young man named Will Savola. I saw him in the, in the big Y in Longmeadow a couple days ago. We were just chatting and I said, you know, Will, this is the time for strong Christian leaders to stand up and step forward because just like Esther was told, we have been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. This is when the strong ones show their strength. 
This is when the strong ones reach down and bring those who are struggling along. And let me tell you, if you're struggling with coming back to church, not necessarily because of the vaccine or because of COVID or because of anything, but because of embarrassment. I've had so many people, you'd be amazed how many people have told me, I just can't get over my pride. I just can't get over the embarrassment. Everybody's going to see me when I walk in that church and they're going to say, geez, where have you been? Can I tell you that's not the way we are here at New Life? I don't care. Listen, it's not just dysfunction in families that you have to endure and you have to go through. There's dysfunction in churches and there's church abuse that many of you have dealt with. Many of you who are watching us have dealt with. And I apologize on behalf of my brothers and sisters in ministry who were knuckleheads and stupid and idiots and did terrible, terrible things. I'm sorry. I can't change that. But I can stand in their place. My shoulders are broad enough to say, I'm so sorry that you had to endure that. But I promise you, if you'll trust the leadership and the people of New Life, because New Life isn't all about me. I'm just the guy whose name is on the sign sometimes. Okay? New Life is about the people. New Life is about the family of people. And if you will just trust God enough to give us the opportunity to show you the love of Jesus Christ in a way that you may not have experienced even in a church before. I promise you, I promise you, you will have your chance, the best chance you may ever get to get your life back on track with Jesus Christ. See, it's not about numbers here. It's not about money. It's not about a beautiful building. Look, our, our building looks like a huge white elephant, doesn't it? It does, man. I know our building. And listen, if you can get beyond the outside, come on in because it looks nice on the inside and the heart of our church is our people. And that's what it's about. If you can just get beyond the dysfunction that has crept into your life, I promise you, I promise you God has something great for your life. What principles do you apply to attack dysfunction, whether it's as parents? And I mean, we've broadened it this morning to our spiritual walk and as church members. First of all, fully embrace the new you in Jesus. Fully embrace that. Many times we don't. Many times we accept salvation. We accept eternal life through Jesus Christ. And we grab onto that and we're happy with that. And we're saved by the skin of our teeth, as they used to say. But we don't really want to change and we don't really embrace the new that Jesus has brought to us. Buy into Jesus completely and let that old fade away. Some of you say, God, you can have everything about me except this, except that. Listen, man, you're never going to be complete in him until you say, okay, God, you can even have that. You can even have that. It's about total surrender. It's about giving up all of you to all of him. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone, anyone, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and see, the new has come. And the great, the great part of 2 Corinthians 5, 17 in the original language is that it is speaking of a process. It's not a definitive right there that, man, you accept Christ as your savior, boom, the old is gone and now you're new completely. You are, you're made new, but that becoming new is a process. 
What happens with a process? Jamil was talking about um, recipes this morning. And for those of you who, have been, who are chefs and been cooks throughout the years, maybe in your recipes you've put a wrong ingredient in there. There was something I was, I, it was a, a, a shake of some kind that somebody was telling me about and it had some, some weird ingredient. I thought, that's really odd. I don't know if I'd ever try that. Maybe you make a mistake. Maybe there's an ingredient that you put in that shouldn't go there and it just doesn't fit. That's okay. It's a process. We fall down, we get up. We fall down, we get up. We fall down, we get up. That's the process of following Jesus. Second thing is this, for you parents raising children, if you haven't learned this throughout this series, please grasp it now. Get on the same page as parents. Get on the same page as parents in all the important things. And that doesn't mean that you love football, gentlemen, so she has to love football. That's, that's not what that means. Or ladies, you love football, so he has to love football. That's not what that means. I'm thankful that God has provided our home with two TVs because I don't like Hallmark movies. All right? <laughs> Just being honest, man. Just being honest. They're all the same anyway, right? They're all the same. Seriously, hometown girl leaves to the big city, becomes an amazing success, comes back to the hometown in Vermont that for some reason is filled with millionaires who all own businesses. There's nobody that lives there. Have you ever been to Vermont? Seriously, when, Sandy, when Superstorm Sandy came through, the one road out of town washed and abandoned the whole state. So I'm glad that I don't have to watch the same movie on a loop. But in all the important things, it's so important that you as a, as a married couple, as parents, are on the same page. Mark 3, verses 23 through 25, Jesus is speaking and he says, So he summoned them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out kingdom? Satan drive out Satan. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. I mean, we could go into an entire conversation about society in general today, but let's keep it on point. A house that is not united in purpose, parents that are not united in purpose will not be successful as a parenting team. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to give your child a dysfunctional childhood because they're going to have two different, uh, two different views of life. Those of you who are uh, parenting with, uh, after divorce or parenting uh, where one of the parents lives in a different home, you know what I'm talking about. It's so important that you get on the same page in the important stuff. By the way, if you don't think kids can figure out if you're not on the same page, you're just not paying attention. And third, confess, forgive, and turn away from sin in your house and commit to godly actions and treatment of others. Colossians 3, 12 through 15, Therefore, as God's chosen, chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. 
Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Michael Yusuf, Dr. Michael Yusuf said this, when our children see us clinging to the promises of God, they will grow up trusting in his goodness. If we fail as adults in praying for and praying with the next generation, then they will become spiritually unsure. The second responsibility that I see that is so major for us as parents is this. It is your responsibility to teach them morality and ethics. Parents, listen, Christian parents, godly parents, it is your responsibility to teach your children morality and ethics. Billy Sunday, great preacher from the early uh, 20th century, said this, to train a child in the way they should go, you must go that way yourself. Now that's point blank and personal. If you're going to train your child in the way you should go, you need to be going that way yourself. You know what that, you know what that, uh, you know what that goes against? The old statement, do as I say, not as I do, right? If you're going to train a child in the way they should go, you need to be going that way yourself. Understand this, their schools and our society will teach them if you want. If you want, I talked one, uh, when the boys were playing baseball last year, I was talking with a teacher from here in East Longmeadow, a gentleman that teaches elementary school. And I, I was just chatting and I said, man, what's the hardest part of your job now, nowadays? Because it's got to be tough with everything that's going on, with all the stuff that's going on. Well, what's the hardest part of your job right now? He said this, parenting somebody else's kids. Whew, I didn't expect that. That's not the answer I expected from a public school teacher. My hardest, the hardest part of my job is parenting someone else's kids. The things that they should be learning at home, the things that they should be getting at home, I'm having to do here, and it makes my job as a teacher that much harder. But understand, their schools and our society will teach them if you want to, but I'll also add this, that will be a disaster to Christian families and Christian homes. Make no mistake, that will be a disaster. The morality of they will be your child's morality. Their worldview will be your child's worldview. We're seeing that play out today. We're seeing young people leave the church and flock to causes all around the world. Listen, I think the church should have a voice in causes. I think the church should have a voice in equality. I think the church should have a voice in uh, social issues, but that voice should come from here in the teaching and the training of our people. That voice should come from the word of God and the application of scripture. It should not replace the voice of the scriptures and the call of the gospel to tell people about Jesus Christ. And quite frankly, something you have to understand and admit and accept is society and their worldview is completely against the worldview of the Bible. Society is completely against the message of the gospel. Totally. And much in the church is going that way. I see it over and over and over again. I see so many pastors today, so many denominations changing their theology, not because they've had a revelation from God, which so many say, but because they're being pressured by society to accept things that they shouldn't be accepting. 
To, be, to, to accept sin in the church for the sake of not having struggles outside of church. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the spring of life. What's in your heart is how you will live. You must, te you must teach and model godly thinking and actions for your kids. We're going to hurry along here. Philippians 4.8, you can look that up on your own. Understand this, in life, in society, just talk, and I've encouraged this over the last year and a half, I've encouraged this, that we talk amongst ourselves, that we talk amongst those from different ethnicities than we are, that we get an understanding of what even though we can't, we don't know from experience what it's like to be a person of color if you're white, to talk with someone openly and honest, not to make your point. My gosh, stop being a maker of a point. Nobody cares, okay? When, you, when all you want to do is make your point, all you do is add to the hate. Seriously, you just add to the hate. I don't care. Let me tell you this, and I'm going to say this boldly and bluntly, and if I'm wrong, Melvin, you could text me later, okay? You do not have an original thought on the idea. What you think has been thought and said and acted out before. You have no, white people, you have no idea what it's like to be a person of color. In our area, ask, we've got a lot of Puerto Ricans in our church, ask them what it's like to be Puerto Rican in Springfield. And have that conversation. Have the conversation. Because your children are going to be taught to hate. I've been very open. And I'm, I, my wife and I and my boys are paying a price in our town for my openness and my honesty. But it's not going to change unless someone has the courage to speak out against hate, against ugliness, against racism. Your kids are going to be taught to hate. You must teach them that following Jesus is about loving others, not about hating others. Your job is to teach them that there's not a white church, there's not a black church, there's not a Latino church, there's the church. There's the church that Jesus Christ established. And everybody is welcome. It doesn't matter your skin color, your ethnicity. Because your kids are going to be taught to hate. They're going to be taught to hate. You need to be able to get beyond that and teach them that it's all about love. It's about loving others. It's about loving the unlovely. It's about loving those who are different than us. And understand this, I'll, I'll give you a flat-out guarantee right now. Hate is at the core of all our problems in our country. And not just our country. Hate is at the core of our problems in the church. Seriously. I get article after article after article about, some of them are positive, some of them are negative, about how divided the church is, and some of them people actually write in this day and age about how divided the church should be. That's it. Listen, that's not a difference of theology. That's hate. That's straight up hate. It's masked in an intelligent conversation. 
But when you pull the mask away, it's straight up hate. And your kids are gonna be taught that way. If you want your child to struggle with the same things you struggled with because you were raised that way, then ignore it. But it's your job to teach your children the way of love, not the way of hate. Your kids are gonna see examples of bullies. They're gonna see examples of bullies. Some of you, you've seen that example of bullying in the church. Not just from the pastorate, but from those people who have the large wallet and don't mind opening it so that they can have some power in the church. And they've kind of pushed themselves into the conversation and they wave that around. There's two things I tell people when they come to me and try to, try to do that, you know, try to push me around with their, well, I can just go to another church or I'll just stop giving. Let's say, well, there's the door. Because as the pastor, there's two things you don't hold over my head, your membership and your money. I don't, I don't deal with bullies well. It's why I'm trying, I really am. That's my area of struggle. I don't deal well with bullies. You can try to bully me all you want. You're not going to get me, you're not going to provoke me into, into something, but you sure aren't going to get your way. Your kids are going to face bullies, and they're going to see examples of bullies. You must teach them that following Jesus is about standing up for those who can't stand up for themselves. Being, being a follower of Christ is about standing up for those people who don't have the ability, who don't have the voice to stand up for themselves. And let me just take a side note there. There are some of you, and I've, I've heard it, man. It's come back to me. People have actually written to me. Pastor John, why do you keep talking about race? Why do you keep it up? You know why? Because those people don't have the voice that I do. Quite honestly. First of all, it's the right thing to do. Racism is sin. Division because of color of skin is sin. But quite honestly, I'm the cat that's up here in the pulpit preaching. It's my responsibility and I have that voice. And I'm called to preach the whole counsel of God and the whole counsel of God is love and not hate. That's why. <laughs> Proverbs 31, eight through nine tells us, speak up for those who have no voice for the justice of all those who are dispossessed. Speak up, judge righteously, and defend the course of the oppressed and needy. Freely you have received, freely give. All of these reasons, all of these life lessons are for the purpose of pointing people to Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians 5, 17 through 20 says, again, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God, <clears throat> excuse me, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, has given us the ministry of reconciliation. It's our job to reconcile people to Christ. It's our calling to reconcile people to Christ. It's not our job to fix society. It's not our job to get wealthy. It's not our job to change the world. It's our job to reconcile people to Jesus Christ. That should motivate everything we do. That should be at the heart of everything we do. Next, it's your responsibility to teach them how to deal with the world. It's in quotations up there. To deal with the world, we throw that around, it's a Christianism. 
right? The world, we throw that around a lot. What is the world? Being in the world is our location and the temptations that come with it. When we talk about being in the world, we're talking about our location and the temptations that come with it. We live in the world. We live in a society. We live on this planet. And because we live on this planet, there are temptations. There are struggles and trials that come with being in the world. John addressed that in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. Can I just tell you this, parents? Not everything, <clears throat> everything can be abused, and everything can be used for uh, for nefarious purposes, but not everything is wrong. Not everything is evil in and of itself. It may be a conduit to evil, but it's not evil. The internet is a great thing for research, for study. We were talking yesterday about um, commentaries. If you, if you studied, if you ever watched my dad study when he was pastoring and preparing a sermon, my dad would have books and he's got bookshelves and, and books that are filled and he's got books that aren't on bookshelves. And that was the way they did things back then. Nowadays, with a couple keystrokes, you can pull up all of that. I think it's a great thing. You want to research for your job. You, many of you, the, the, the way you survived throughout this pandemic was because of the internet. But the internet can be a very dangerous, dark, evil place if it's used wrong. And what we've chosen to do in our home is embrace much of this technology and teach our boys how to use it responsibly. I hate that. I'm going to be honest with you. I hate it. I hate it. But if I don't, then somebody will. If you don't think that there's a kid in your boy, in your children's school that knows how to, how to jailbreak a phone, knows how to get around your password, knows how to get around everything, everything you put in place, you're just not paying attention. So I, my wife and I want to teach our boys how to use these things responsibly. We put safeguards on them, that's for sure. Our boys have phones. You know what, I get a report. If, if Michael's phone hasn't communicated with my phone in a little while, I get a message on my phone. Michael's phone is not communicating on family mode. <laughs> so, hey, Michael, come here. What's up with your phone? And he just didn't charge it. So I, my, my wife and I choose to go the route of we have to, they, they have to know and we're going to teach them how to use it responsibly while safeguarding them, while putting all those things into place that keep them from going to the sites and watching the videos and watching the movies that but TikTok is, is banned from my boys' phones. So is YouTube. Do you understand what you can watch on YouTube? Some pretty horrible stuff. Buying into the ways of the world puts us opposite of God's purpose. James 4, 4 says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. They need to truly know that followers of Jesus are not of this world. Jesus told us in John 15, if the world you understand it hated me first before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would, have, would love, its, love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, 
the world hates you. Being not of the world is our mentality and our source of information. Teach your children that their source of information, their source of life, their source of morality must be the word of God. Keeping a compassionate heart for others will combat the jaded worldview that is so prevalent. Sacrifice of self is the secret to true surrender. Sacrifice of self is the secret to true surrender. I think so many in our community, so many in society have it right in the fact that they're willing to sacrifice for others, but they're sacrificing for the good of humanity rather than for the good of the kingdom of God. And that's the twist that needs to be made. The Bible as their compass is their best option and only choice for one who is truly not of this world. Realize this, ultimately your children must make a choice. Your job is to fully inform them and arm them to make the right choice. And last choice. And lastly, as we wrap up this entire series, let me bring this home to what really mounts, what really matters, what really counts. What I pray for for my children, what I pray for for my grandchildren, what I pray for for your kids that are involved in our children's ministry, for all the kids that will become part of our children's ministry down through the years, for you as parents. My prayer for you, my prayer, uh, my, my prayer for the leadership and direction of your life is this, that you would understand it is your responsibility to lead your children to Jesus. That's what this is all about. It is your responsibility to lead them to Jesus. D.L. Moody said this, this is a masterpiece of the devil to make us believe that children cannot understand religion. Would Christ have made a child the standard of faith if he had known that it was not capable of understanding his words? We don't give kids enough credit. Those same kids that can memorize every line of the song, Let It Go, because they watch Frozen 50 times a day, they can memorize scripture. They can memorize principles from the Bible. They can learn that Jesus loves them. You just have to have the courage to teach them that. You must teach them that they're sinners. Listen, I know, nobody likes my child. That's not my child. The most, the most dangerous words that you'll ever utter as a parent is the, are these. My child would never do that. <laughs> yeah, remember, there's video cameras nowadays. Every phone has a camera. That's your kid. You've got to teach them that they're sinners. You've got to teach them that the penalty of sin is separation from God for eternity in a place called hell. Michael and Gabriel were asking me a question. I forget what we were watching, but they, Michael said, Dad, is it hot in hell? I said, yeah, Michael. The Bible says it's so hot that you want to die, but it'll never get cooler. And he looks at me and says, Daddy, I don't want to go to hell. I said, well, good. Well, good. Man, I don't care if you choose Jesus because you love him or because you want an escape ladder out of hell. I just want you to choose Jesus. We'll work on following him after you accept him. But I can't clean up, we, we can't clean up a dirty cup ourselves. It has to be cleaned by the Savior. You must teach them that Jesus died to pay the price for their sins. Nobody else did. You've got to teach them that they must accept the gift of forgiveness 
so that they will have hope for eternity. Listen, even in many churches today, they're not going to hear that. They're going to hear that love wins in the end. We're starting a series next week, honest answers to honest, honest questions that deserve honest answers. Something like that. Is that it? Thank you. Honest questions that deserve honest answers. We're going to be answering questions like that. The hard questions that are facing us as Christians today. But here's the one thing to understand, parents. You can lead them to Jesus, but they must make the choice for themselves. Your duty before God is to lead them to the cross. And let the Holy Spirit draw, him, draw them to, themselves, to himself. A.M. Brewster said this, and after they accept Christ, there's a, there's a responsibility there too. Lead your kids to the cross, but don't stop there. Teach them to pick it up and follow Christ. Lead your kids to the cross, but don't stop there. Teach them to pick it up and follow Christ. And parents, that's where the church comes in. That's what we're here for. That's why Awana should be such an important part of your week. That's why Wednesday night small groups should be such an important part of your week, whether you can join us live or whether you have to be online. They should be such an important part because your children need to learn how to live. You need help. I'm not, I'm not dissing your family. I'm not, I'm not pushing down your, your ability to parent. I'm saying we all need help. We all need assistance. I'm so thankful for those of you who work in the children's ministry and the Iwana program because my boys benefit from it. But parents, that's what this all comes down to. That's why you work on your marriage. That's why you have a godly, strong marriage. That's why you work and fight against dysfunction in your home so that you can lead your children to Jesus. And once they accept him, you can teach them to pick that cross up and follow him. How you doing on that? How you doing? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of being here in your house today, for the privilege of your word and worship. Lord, I thank you for this series, for what you taught me, for what I've been able to share. God, I know it's all been from you and I appreciate it. Father, I pray that the words that were spoken, the thoughts and the principles that were given will find good soil and will take root and will be beneficial to marriages and families and homes and children and ultimately our church. Father, bless us throughout this day, this week, those who have many people away on vacation, God, give them good rest and bring them back. And may this church just continue to grow and continue to see your will be done. May we honor you in all things. In your name we pray. Amen.